Welcome to Shoot First, Ask Questions Later, where we research the response of our past and review their relevance for today. This is your host, Moshe Kurtz. Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Shoot First, Ask Questions Later. Today, we are going to be exploring the work of Rav Shlomo Warman, an obscure and perhaps underappreciated Gadol and Talmud Chacham, who is living in our midst right here, I'm saying right here, um, being in the Northeast area and uh, formerly from Long Island. And joined with us today is Rabbi Eli Slomniki, who is a distinguished educator and leader in Jewish education, grew up in West Hempstead and attended Hank, Hebrew Academy of Nassau County. Rabbi Slomniki received his smicha from Landers and has an extensive experience as a teacher and administrator after serving in several yeshiva high schools. Currently, he serves as the Menahel, the principal of Hank High School, guiding students and faculty with dedication and vision. Rabbi Slomniki resides in Great Neck with his wife, Elissa, and their five children. And most notably, for the purposes of our episode, he spent six formative years learning in different capacities with Rav Shlomo Warman Zichrona Levracha, who is the subject of our episode today. Generally, we focus more on what you might call the cheftza, the uh, actual chuvos, the documents that are produced. But we're going to use it more as a hechi timsa, a means to talk about the gavra, the individual Rav Shlomo Warman, who I suspect, perhaps like myself, um, many have not yet heard about, or if they have, they don't yet have the appreciation that they really should. And again, if you have heard, I'm not insulting our listeners, I'm speaking for myself as an Amha Aretz. Now, Rav Shlomo Warman, and uh, we'll hear more about him in just a moment, was a Rebbe and actually Rosh Yeshiva at Hank. And my wife's family, actually, uh, they are all Hank graduates. I served actually at the Young Israel Plainview for two years as well, which worked out nicely because I got to spend Shabbosim with the uh, in-laws. It was a pretty good deal. And I've heard Rav Warman's name brought up in passing. And it happens to be upon coincidence or perhaps actually Hashkacha Pratis, I was at a used Sfarm sale and I happened upon several volumes of his magnum opus, She'eris Yosef. And I was so captivated by the profound level of erudition and Torah scholarship, which is, um, perhaps we could talk about this, um, it goes beyond what one might expect from a typical high school rabbi or even a pulpit rabbi. And I was so captivated by it that I, I just had to learn more. And so this brings us to Rabbi Eli Slamniki, who not only was a Talmud for many years of Rev Warman, but also now serves as the Menahel of Hank, which is a school that Rev Warman was teaching at. So for all these reasons combined, I can't think of a better person to have on than Rabbi Eli Slamniki. I thank you for your time, and I think our listeners are in for a real treat today. Perhaps we can start before even, I, I know you chose, we're going to look as a sample at a tshuva of his about women saying Kaddish for their parents. But before we even get into the uh, halakhic minutia, maybe just if we could spend a few minutes, uh, for those of us who aren't familiar, or even for those like myself who have heard of him, who was Rosh Shlomo Warman, Zichron Um Right, so growing up in West Hempstead, going to Hank, um, like we definitely took for granted um, at some level, um, the, the greatness that was in our midst. Um, but Rehorman would often talk about his life. It's like we knew, we, like we, we kind of knew um, who he was, um, that he had, he was born in Leipzig, Germany, 
um, to a Polish family. He wrote a book, Lest We Forget, where he goes through kind of what that meant um, in pre-Holocaust, um, you know, um, um, Poland um, and Germany, uh, Germany, Leipzig is in Germany, of course. Um, but he, he moved to America before the war. Um, and he lit, I think initially he was in Cincinnati for a decade or, or more, which is where he um, interacted with um, his Rebbe, who he often talked about, a of Laser Silver. Um, he often would talk about him. Um, my understanding, I, I believe he came to New York to Torah Vidas for yeshiva um, as high school age. Um, and, you know, ultimately settled in, I think initially Bayswater, because I remember some West Hempstead Hevra saying, oh. um, like Mr. Joel Phillips, all of a shalom, used to talk about how he, I believe how he knew um, Rav Warman from his Bayswater days. Um, wow. That's where I grew up. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> I grew up um, going to Young Israel, Wave Crest and Bayswater. Um, uh, obviously, I am, <laughs> I probably did not exist in this world at the time that he was there. Uh, I think if you look in the, I think it could be even in the Chelek Rishim of Sheir Sosif. I think his address is listed at Bayswater, but if you look at the later um, 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 the later editions and the Oros, um, you'll see his Kew Gardens Hills address. Um, that's the home that we would often visit. Um, and he was a Rebbe in Hank. Um, he was a Rebbe slash Rosh Hashiva in Hank. Um, and that's a pretty rough sketch um, of, of who, of, you know, kind of his bio that I know. So I I looked at the few volumes I was able to get my hands on, and I was just amazed at the haskamos, the approbations that were on the book. There is a glowing haskama from Rav Moshe Feinstein, which is right at the beginning. But then also, if I recall correctly, there's Rav Avadia, I believe, is on there. I think uh, Rishlomo Zalman Orbach is on there as well, as well as um, some others who are also worthy of mention, but escape me at the moment. So he's I'll tell you I'll tell you an interesting anecdote. I, I recall when in high school, um, again, why Rav Warman thought we even like, you'll excuse me, like cared, you know, like about this following detail. But in hindsight, it's so interesting. I recall Rav Warman telling us um, when he was publishing Oros Shabbos, I was a junior or senior, so this is 96 or 97. Um, almost like we were going to ask the following Shaila and he bevorned the Kasha and, we, and he bevorned the Kasha. He said, you know, I'm printing Rav Moshe's Haskama in 97, right? Uh, Rav Moshe was not alive, obviously, right? So he, he was bevoring the Kasha. How can he reprint the Haskama of Rav Moshe, right? Rav Moshe is no longer, on his Oros Shabbos, he's no longer alive. Um, I, I don't remember who he quoted, um, but I remember him telling us, you know, I'm able to do it because I asked this Shaila and, you know, and this, you know, whoever his Rebbe was said it was Mutter to reprint Rav Moshe's Haskama, which I think may have ended in, in the, in Chalik Bays. Um, he had a new, he had a, a, a fresh Haskama for Chalik Bays. Um, um, but that was an interesting anecdote that I remember. Yeah. And um, what also kind of just amazed me about him as I, I was, touring through and cruising through the safer is that so first of all he seems to kind of i mean again who am i you know i'm up for takas i'm like i can't start doing guzzle ratings and saying like who's an a tier who's a b tier you know but clearly he had the respect of what we would consider to be the first rate gadole torah and just reading from his own tidushim 
Um, he was on a very high Madriga. He knew a lot. And in fact, if I remember correctly, um, back in the day where I, I would binge, I, every now and then I listened to it still, but I would binge Rabbi Ari Leibitz's Temen Halacha. So I think a while back, one of them I heard was about whether, you know, there's a whole question about the propriety of scheduling siyumim during the nine days as a means so everyone could eat meat. So that that's a sign to itself. But assuming all the right details are in place and conditions are in place to legitimately make a siyum and a, a sudas mitzvah during the nine days, there is a question, what if a woman is making a siyum? Could that siyum count enough um, to constitute a sudas mitzvah for these purposes? And I haven't seen it inside. Maybe I don't own that volume. I only have three out of, I think, six or maybe more. Uh, so apparently he said yes. And Rabbi Leibowitz quoted Rav Shechter, who was quoting the Sheiris Yosef. So I would just like, whoa, the Sheriff Yosef is like being quoted as Alacha Lemaisa, which I think brings me to another question, which is, I know you mentioned he he published several works. Sheriff Yosef is one I'm most intimately familiar with, but um, this this seems to be some of it is like Chidushi Torah. Uh, a lot of it perhaps is Chidushi Torah. For instance, I was just reading a piece. He had a small little piece because I just finished going through Mishnah Zvachim. He had a piece on, you know, the status of Mishkan Shiloh, which was really interesting. Uh, that obviously has, unfortunately today, Bavonoseno Rabba has very little halacha lemaisa practical import. But he seems to have, and I think this brings us to his piece on women reciting Kaddish, he has what we would almost call like, Shuvos, like he's actually addressing not just a theoretical case about the Beis Hamikdash, but he seems to be right, not just in the abstract, but he does does he want people to walk away with um, a practical takeaway? Like, what should, what should we make of his writings in that respect? So again, there, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm I guess I'm the Menahel of Hank, so I'm in this seat today. There are there are Talmidei Chachamim who know of Warman's Torah much better than I. Um, but if you're asking me the question, I, 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 we never got the sense that Rav Warman viewed himself as a posik. Um, he did sit out in the RCA basin. Um, he did talk about those times to us, us in Shear. He did. Um, but we never got the sense that um, he viewed himself that way. Although it is true that in some of the pieces of, of, of Sheiris Yosef and, or, and or the different Oro series, um, it's written as a tshuva, as the, the one we'll learn today. Um, but but if you when you knew him, that's not the stature position that he kind of presented himself with. He presented himself like a rebbe, like a like Rosh Hashim might not be the right word given that it was Hank, but he presented himself as a rebbe. Um, but maybe I didn't have the right exposure to him. Meaning maybe there were you know um, other abanim who viewed him. If you read, we'll talk about him. Rabbi Daniel Feldman is a beautiful piece. Um, online, you can find it, uh, almost a, a reflection um, on Rav Warman. He talks about it when he was a young pulpit rabbi, he, how he would go to Rav Warman um, and discuss communal kind of halachic issues. Wow. So he's just really this gem of a Talmud Chacham who I guess this really begs the question for people like me who only discovered him in recent years or someone of his stature and the fact that other rabbis went to him for guidance, just why haven't we? Why haven't more people heard of Rev Warman? Um, is it you know? Is it his humility, his modesty? Um, does it have to do with the community that he was in? Do you have any sense of why an Adam Gadol like this just uh, wouldn't be as widely renowned? Like, did he not? Did, did Ami Mishpacha decide not to write write something up? And that's why. Is that how it works? That's I think a, it's a broader a, question about who becomes a Gadol. I mean, right. there's a broader sugya over here. 
Um, it's a great question. Um, again, we had the sense, even as high school kids, that we were, a, a, you know, in the presence of greatness. And I think we even asked ourselves the question, you know, with all due respect to the school we were in, like, why is he here? Um, and, you know, people had talked about how he was offered to be the Rosh Hashiva in different places. Um, he definitely had relationships um, with, you know, uh, you know, with with large yeshiva yeshiva gedolos with yeshiva university, um, I, I remember there was a rumor about Karen Biavne. Um, um, I, I, it it could very well be, you know, you mentioned his humility. He did not hold kind of this large communal post in Kew Gardens Hills. I don't know that he was ever a rub in a jewel. Um, Again, he sat on the based in, you know, in RCA. He used to talk about Irv Willig and, you know, and his time together. He used to talk about those moments. Um, he had this very charming way about him. Um, um, it could be due to his humility. Um, um, I, I, it would be hard for me to conjecture, but there definitely was a lot of humility. Mm -hmm. And something uh, interesting is just... Um that he seemed to occupy this kind of, uh, you know, uh, what they like to say nowadays, they call a liminal space, uh, between the modern Orthodox and more yeshivish Um, He seemed to, again, you look at those Haskamos, clearly had the respect of what you call like the mainstream um, Haredi Gedolim. But here he is working at Hank, which I think I'm sure you could probably speak about this better, that even as co-ed modern orthodox schools go, I think Hank kind of, you, you brand yourself more, more of a yeshiva in that respect. But it, it's interesting. I, I wonder almost, you know, if that had something to do with it, the fact that he wasn't neatly within any particular community almost. It's 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 actually an uh, it's an amazing ha'ara um, in the sense that I think for many of us who felt closer of woman when we were in Hank, when we left the call them the Kosle Hayeshiva and we went to the different yeshivos that we were in yeshiva gedol whatever different yeshiva gedolos, um, at least I'll talk about myself. I reflected back and I said to myself, you know, here the world is kind of like you know categorized, but you couldn't. You can't put Rav Warman in a category. Um, here, he was the Rosh Hashiva of our, you know, um, of our day school. Um, you know, he, he, he did teach um, in a Talmud Torah. Um, you know, I, we'd been in his home many times. We would go to his home um, on Chol HaMoed, um, alumni, even when we were in high school, uh, Mikabel Pnei Rabo, um, Barrego, we would do that. I believe he even has a piece um, in his, uh, um, in one of his svarim about that. Um, and there was a plaque on his walls in uh, the living room or the hallway about, uh, I think it was Mid-Island uh, Y, Mid-Island JCC, something like that, where he taught in the Talmud Torah for many years, which I think is kind of how he may have gotten to Hank, or uh, I'm not exactly sure the, the timeline there. Uh, and then I reflected back, you know, we used to go to his home, to his sukkah, um, and the sukkah had, a, you know, Israeli flags. That was part <laughs> of the noise sukkah. <laughs> he clearly, and he talked about of laser silver, and he talked about the you know, call it what, your language mainstream, Gedolei Torah, whatever you want to call it. But, but, but he, he never had that kind of definitional aspect to him. Mm -hmm. He was just a Mormon who loved his Talmudim and who taught us Torah, Biahava. Like that was very much in hindsight kind of who he was. Um, he, he definitely didn't limit himself in that way. Right. He wasn't he wasn't Rode Vachar Kavod. He wasn't looking for, you know, being in a position of Srara and authority over others. And those are 
you know, I always say those are like Moshe Rabbeinu. Those are the people, Halavai, that we should be elevating to the highest of positions, after the ones who aren't looking for it. Um, so, okay, I'm sure Rav Horman would probably appreciate if we actually learned some of his Torah. Um, I'm sure that's what he would want from us. So I know you chose Chelek Bey's uh, Simon Samech, which is uh, not just an abstract Hidushi Torah, but actually it's a question of women reciting Kaddish, which, you know, I think in the yeshiva shavelt, in yeshiva world, that's pasnish. There's like not even a havamina really for a woman to be saying Kaddish. But I guess this kind of speaks to the position and community that he was a part of, that this was even a shayla that would come to his desk in the first place. So maybe you could just share with us uh, how he addressed that question. So even before, as I do that, just reflecting back on, you know, the piece that you mentioned through Rabbi Leibowitz's 10-minute Torah, uh, I think it's the same the same volume, Chelek Bey's, I think it's from 1981, that um, the issue of a woman making a, a siyum during the nine days, and would a man be allowed to uh, to partake, uh, eat meat, you know, in that siyum, that's in the same... It, it, oh, the I, same I have to look more that's, carefully at the table of contents then. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think it's the same one I was, I was, I was reviewing last night, and... Um, yeah, it's it's you know it's definitely a testament to um you know to I think the world that he lived in and the exposure um you know that, that he had which maybe in other communities he wasn't because even in this in this simon about Amiras Kaddish Ali Debas so he he writes Nishalti Imroi Shabbas Tomer Kaddish he was asked this question like you know it was real it was real um for for him um it, 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 it's almost reasonable to assume that a student asked him. Um, such a question, um, um, and um, and, um, <clears throat> and and interestingly, even just as a prelude to this, um, you know, and just again by way of learning more about who Rav Warman was. Um, so again, I was in high school in the mid nineties. Um, so in the time of Torah tapes, um, ah. you might recall that um, you know the you know the the headliners Rabbi Beryl Wine and Rabbi Sacher Frand. And and one of the, I think the, the moments where we learned that like you know Rav Warman was 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 a, you know wasn't just our high school Rebbe wasn't just the Rosh Hashiva of Hank, uh, but he was someone on the Torah scene. I remember hearing like through the grapevine maybe it was at Teen Minion on Shabbos through the older guys that Rabbi Frand quoted Rav Warman on one of his Torah tapes about this issue of a woman saying Kaddish. Oh wow! And, and that was, I mean, again, the 90s, that was like a big thing, at least um, for us, for us who were, so to speak, in the know or wanted to be in the know. Um, I think that gave, you know, you'll excuse the phrase, but it gave like us at Hank, like a lot of street cred, you know. Um, this is um, this is our Rebbe being quoted by my friend on the Torah tapes. Um, That's what I heard. I heard at Maimonides. I don't, I don't know if this is true. What I was told is Maimonides where Salvechik was the Mardas were there, you know, like sports games. I don't know if they still do. So they, they, they say they chant, we've got the rub. We've got the rub. So I, I assume you felt like a similar kind of pride um, and knowing like, oh, wow, this isn't just like our Rebbe. Like he's like, you know, t- uh, you know, Torah celebrity over here in that yeah. respect. Yeah. Yeah. You, you definitely meet a Hank graduate, you know, um, and that'll be a point of pride for them. hundred percent. Wow. So, so, you know, he sort of Warman, you know, which is atypical for his Svarim. His Svarim really are Chidushe Torah. Um, um, but, but peppered in them are kind of more um, Chuva style pieces, this being one of those. Um and he was asked, you know, is it appropriate for for for, for a woman to um to, to say to say Kaddish? 
he quotes the um you know the, the Sefer Chavas Yair, you know which is again well, I think off quoted in this sugya at this point you know um what it is 40, 40 something years later um you know uh, the person who died didn't have any uh, many sons and he hired uh, ten men to learn uh, so that his his daughter could say the Kaddish after um and um. So, so you know, that's a perchavashor that yesh lachush aydekach yichalshu kolach aminhagim shalbani yisrael. There was concern, you know, this will be an erosion, if you will, of minhag yisrael, which doesn't have, in, at least in that until that point, women saying saying gadish. Um, so, you know, he quotes that. He, he goes on to quote the shailus tshuva's tshuva meava um, that um, th that again that. Um, that you know, not that, that, that there was this moment where young girls were saying Kaddish, girls of five or six. Um, you know, that there was this concept that there had been this, I guess, some element of precedent of females saying Kaddish. Um, um, but, but, um, he clarifies, if you will, that it seems that in that, you know, it, it, you know, from that, that, that scenario that the Chubamiyava quotes, that it's really only in the, um, um, in the Azura of the Beis HaKnesses that you would be matir, uh, meaning not in the Beis HaKnesses proper, mm -hmm. um, that it would, it, it would be proper for those young girls to be saying Kaddish, um, but seemingly not in the, not in the, in, in the shul proper. Um, it quotes the Mate Ephraim, um, <clears throat> and a similar, um, that, you know, a kind of scenario, Demisha in Lobanim Rakbas, Someone who doesn't have any any sons, but only a daughter. He hires, you know, um, you know, post mortem. He, he hires uh, ten men to to learn in his house. That you know, in such a scenario, this the Matzah Ephraim says, English You really shouldn't listen to that uh, tava to to have uh, the the you know the young woman saying kaddish. We should make a macha, if you will. Um, and he goes through that in the uh, Stechemed, um, in his piece on Avelus, that by the Svardim, he never saw such a thing. Meaning, mm -hmm. even though there was precedent in some of these Ashkenazic communities that there were females who said Kaddish and whatever it may be, uh, but by Svardim, this is, uh, you know, never happening. Which I'm sure is interesting, you know, at, at Hank, I'm not sure what the population was like back in his day, but I think today you you have like a... Uh, even like, you know, when my wife was going to Hank, um, not that we're the oldest people either, but um, there was a lot of, I think, like Persians, Svartim from Great Neck who were oh, there. Yeah. So it's uh, interesting. And I'm sure you probably noticed that Svartim overall, this is a well-known thing that even if they're not as observant religiously, they're more socially conservative. So it's less of a Havamina that a woman would be doing anything of this nature in the Svartic community, which makes sense. I'm not, I'm not surprised by that. Right. So it, it seems like there's an issue kind of of migdar milsa or minhag of preserving our traditions, which the Chavis Yar and others bring up. And then there's kind of like the issue of kolisha and pritzas, of impropriety that's brought up as well. And um, he he and quotes a line it, here as well. I think he says, She's trying to do Kaddish in order to uh, sanctify the name of God publicly and hopefully it should be a, a benefit for her parents. Instead, she's bringing a stumbling block to the Rabbim. So that's a that's a very harsh law show. And is there any basis um, that he cites to be to be makele, to be more flexible for uh, a woman who's in such a difficult, challenging situation? All she wants to do is just find a way to uh, be mezaka and honor her parents. 
So right, so it's true. So to you know, toward the first you know half of the of 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 the quality of the piece, so he he's definitely going through the reasons to be more conservative um, about this issue, um, and then he writes. Um, he quotes Rav Henkin, who was, again, at this point, off-quoted, but in 1981, or 82, whatever this is, he's quoting Rav Henkin. He quotes Rav Henkin, who, who, who um, allows for a woman to say Kaddish in the Ezra's Nashim while the men are saying Kaddish. Um, and it's so interesting how he responds to meaning. So he gives credence to it, meaning he, he's bringing it to the table. Um, and it, and then he writes, um, it's, it's so beautiful. And this is, you know, anyone who's read, you know, kind of Rav Warman's writing. First of all, it's a very easy read, um, for someone who, who knows Shas and, and, you know, is familiar with Shas. Um, um, but it's very beautiful. Has very kind of deferential and kind of poetic language that's peppered in um, to anybody who's really looked at at, at his svarim. Not that I'm like compared to other achronim. I'm not like a master of other achronim, but I, I've seen enough of Rav Warman's um, Torah to know you, that you can, right. You can you can feel the covenant and respect he has. That even when he's going to disagree with Rav Yisraeli Hagen, he's he's saying you know in, in in my you know weak and uninformed opinion, if I may, but say that I, I have a different approach. Right, um, you know, um, so, um, so, and and he brings up the whole issue of 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 um. It's almost like there's an assumption here that there would be less than ten men. He's assuming in Rav Henkin's um position, as I understand it. Um, well, I think he I think he brings up uh in the next paragraph he says that the issue and the, you know this is this is funny because in modern Orthodox shuls you could argue the opposite in the more traditional shuls when there was a woman section which wasn't always the case it was so separated right. that was considered a Rishus Bifniatsmo. Um exactly. to the extent that if a man were to dive in there, they wouldn't be Yotzi to feel of it Seabor. And mm. it's just a separate Rishus altogether. Now what's funny and he's saying, therefore, if the woman says Kaddish, but there's no minion for her to say Kaddish. But then you can ask, but what about in a modern Orthodox shul where there might just be like a tent tefach mechitza? It's very much the same room. Um, right. So right. That, no. it's kind of funny that he assumes that it's it'd be a separate domain. Right. Well, he even um, um, right. He he quotes um, a different piece of his. I forget where from Menachem Zemba. I think he's quoting that this issue of the uh, of the different rishios um, and how that was a you know. Again, from his perspective, is a big, a big issue here that wouldn't allow for the woman to, um, to be able to recite Kaddish. He quotes him a lot, by the way. I'm not. It, I, he quotes yes. him a lot. Yeah. Um, I've never really seen him quoted as frequently anywhere else. Not to say I have like a huge bakias, but I, I've noticed that in Rev Warman's writings, he quotes him a lot in there. I, right. I, I don't have a great, re, uh, you know, why, but um, I think the only reason I know Rev Nachmanzemba's name is because of Rev Warman. Right. Um, so. Um, um, you know, and, and I think in many ways that's another piece. He would often talk about, um, you know, uh, Gedolim, the you know the people who write Svarim, you know, who like as if it was like you know Shaykh to us in a way that like, and it's Lahavdil. It's like you know quoting the old baseball players, old basketball players. He, he talked about. Like, it was just it was just a sprach that he had, as if we knew who they were, and it was only in in hindsight that like oh Shlomo Hyman oh that's a name I should know right Menachem Zemba that's a name I should know. He used to talk about Pinchas Hirschsprung, who also wrote one of the Haskamos. 
as if like, you know, we should know where Pinchas Hirschsprung from Montreal was. Like, but what 11th grader like living with them would like just like known who he was. But, but in, you know, in retrospect, like we learned, we gained so much cultural literacy about the Torah world just by sitting there and listening, like, um, which is just a, like an interesting uh, an aside. I think um, that's important. I'm sure that's probably what, you know, you hope with the Rebbeim who work under you when they teach. Uh, it's not just about imparting the content and knowledge, but, you know, you want them to exude this culture of and that the kids when they hear it, it's not it's not just simply they're learning the gemara but they're part of a broader culture of talmud torah so that that sounds like something you got from ravorman and um i i do want you before we conclude actually to um share a little bit more about ravorman but just to make sure we wrap up this this piece as we're drawing toward a close so how does ravorman ultimately for lack of a better term Paskin on this issue. What's what's his conclusion? What's the maskana on whether uh, a daughter can say Kaddish or a parent? So it's very interesting. If you just, I'll, I'll read the language. I'll try and do it quickly because I think it's worth it. Um, it says, speaks so deferentially about Rav Henkin. He's worried. If that happened, um, he, he's nervous that maybe people will learn that a woman can be mitzari for a minion for other dvarim So he, he's nervous. He's nervous. It, it seems like that there's this, there's not this technical issue, but rather there's this sociological um kind of concern um and this might be might actually speak to it because if you have someone who's more entrenched in what we call the more Haredi world um on the one hand they might be more inclined to take that more machmer position because like what is this pasta it's passage like what is this um but on the other hand they don't have the concern necessarily that someone's then going to say well now women can count toward a minion they would understand that it's circumscribed but perhaps this speaks to more Rav Warman's position on the one hand that he would even address a Shiloh like this because of the community he was serving, but also with his understanding of if he gave a certain sock, what the community would then do with it. They would, you know, give an inch, take a foot. They would then run with it. And it's the classic uh, slippery slope concern. So he's actually saying for social reasons as a kind of like a gedder, um, lest a woman, uh, lest we start counting women toward minion, they shouldn't be saying Kaddish. Now, uh, it's probably worthwhile to do, uh, just note to listeners, a whole separate episode uh, specifically analyzing women in Kaddish. I think that's worthwhile. Um, I know we're doing it very briefly just to be Mekayim Talmud Torah as we learn about Rev Warman. But yeah, what is what? So what does this talk tell us about Rev Warman? And perhaps in our last two to three minutes we have together, I would love to just hear, you know, what could any rabbis, rabbeim who are listening, um, gain from Rav Warman in their mahalach and their approach to teaching the next generation? And what could anyone, regardless whether they're in working in Avodah Sakodesh, whether they are quote unquote a lay person, um, what 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 can someone take away from Rav Warman ultimately? So, so I'll try I'll try and do my best, at least from my perspective. What's interesting is you know he, he also mentions that he. Um, you, you know, he he brought this Shaila to his Rebbe, Rav Lazer Silver, um, and Rav Lazer Silver was, you know, concurred with him, um, against Rav Henkin. Um, and, and then what's very interesting, and I think he does this often, 
is, you know, he, he concludes with a, a comment that Rav Meir Findel, who started Hank, who was a chaver of his, he calls him a chaver, uh, he calls him much more than that, showed him a sefer from uh, a previous Rishon Lachin, Rabbi Ben Zion Meir, um, Chai Uziel, from his sefer, Piskei Uziel. And the reason he brings it, I believe, is because ultimately what, what what the sefer Piskei Uziel does, um, is, you know, Rishon Lachin, Sephardi, is not going to allow women to the Yaddish, is... What do you do if you have this woman who, who so desperately wants to, um, you know, be mechabed her her parent, and he gives and he gives eitzah in that safer piskei uziel. So, so, so I think that that speaks to a woman that, that that it's not just about the technical halacha, but it's about the human experience, about the you know the emotion. It's about what does it mean to be a human being. And, and I don't think he would have been comfortable leaving off a Talmud or a person or his piece of Torah without the sensitivity of the human experience. And I think that was very much um, what it meant to, to learn by Rav Warman. You felt, it's so hard to describe, you just felt the warmth and the love. I was I was reminiscing with some of the Rebbeim here, who were also my Rebbeim when, whenever I was here some 20-something years ago. And I reminisced, like, he used to, like, touch us across the, the face. And it's like old school European, but you knew <laughs> then it was love. It was, um, you know, zip, like all these, like, these lines that were European, but really, like, exuded love. Um, and, and I think more importantly than the Torah that we learned with him, I think the, my Javier, and we talked about this, that you, you, we recall being in the presence of someone who cared about us. So, you know, like advice to, you know, to Rebbeim, to Rabbanim, Achamchem, I, I, I don't know, I think these are Dvarim Pshutim, I think this is what like, you know, Rabbi Meir Findel, you know, who, who hired him, um, and, and his dear friend, Rabbi Moshe Gadisman, um, who was the Dean of Hank, it was always um, Avasa Torah, and, you know, and Kavar Abrios, and, and, and loving the, the, the students. That was so axiomatic to learning Torah um, with, with, with Rav Warman. Um, those of us who knew, you know, you know, you, you know what it was like. Mm -hmm. to be. And something inspire, inspiring also, I think, is that there is this and, you know, in Kamakam Laharik, we, we don't have time to elaborate on this. There's almost this perception sometimes. Um, I think this might be a distinction, again, between the modern Orthodox and, and Yeshiva Shevelt, um, that sometimes like being a teacher, uh, being a quote Judaic studies teacher or a Rebbe, uh, you know, puts you lower on the sociological totem pole. But really, you know, it means like you you weren't going to be a Rosh Hashiva at YU or Rosh Hashiva somewhere. But actually, he seemed to get a lot of gratification out of being able to work on the high school level with developing minds, um, being their Rebbe for them, and making sure that they actually got exposed to a real Talmud Chacham. And I think it's something for, you know, I'm a young guy. I'm not, I never, I have no dreams of ever being as great as Rev Warman. But, you know, I think about like looking up to people like Rev Warman and say, you know, why can't we strive for greatness, even if I'm not going to be the next Rashi of YU? Why can't we attempt to, well, again, whatever our version of Sheiris Yosef that comes even somewhere close, why can't we strive to do, and use him as a model uh, for what the next generation can become. I would say, I would say, interestingly, maybe also in a way, you never got the sense that he was using the sheer, the classroom, as a platform to hit for him to play out his kind of grandiose expectations of what it means to share mm. his Torah. It was just the experience of learning Torah with him. You <laughs> never, yeah. Um, you know, there is um, there is one anecdote. I, I know the. Um, he had a chavrusa, and um, the chavrusa always liked to have a, a takeaway lesson. They would learn uh, Ian. And uh, I had heard through the grapevine that, you know, one time they were learning a sugya very in-depth, and the chavrusa said, so what's the takeaway message? He said, the takeaway message is that there's a machogas we shown him. 
Ah, oh. that's the takeaway message. So he beautiful. And that's and that's and by the way, I relate to that a lot because I'm working in the pulpit, and many times like I'll give a shear or something, and someone's like, "So what's like the takeaway?" I'm like, "The takeaway is that this is the sugya, and it's a great sugya, and you should know it because you know." So I'm like, "But what's the inspiration?" I'm like, Talmud Torah is gufa, the inspiration, the beauty and complexity and sophistication of Torah learning is inherently an inspirational experience. So I think that's an excellent note to end on. Rabbi Slimnicki, I really want to thank you so much for your time, um, not only for your expertise, but your personal experience um, that you've been able to share with us from Rav Warman. I know as you gave us the caveats that there's so much more to say, and it's hard to encapsulate, but it definitely gave me a deeper appreciation about Rev Warman, and uh, I hope it gave our listeners a deeper appreciation. Uh, to our listeners, if you know something about Rev Warman or you had some personal experience or family experience that you want to share, uh, feel free to shoot me an email, and we'd love to feature future reflections on the podcast. Thank you so much, Rev Nikki, and uh, Hashem should bless you and your faculty to continue to carry on Rev Warman's Masorah, Hank. Thank you for the opportunity to share this wonderful legacy. Thank Thank you. you. Take care. Thank you for listening to Shoot First, Ask Questions Later. Please make sure to subscribe to get the latest updates. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate us and leave a review. Do you have a response to the response that you want to share on the show? Please send your letter to the editor to mitchellmkurtz at gmail.com. And God willing, we would love to consider your perspective to be shared on a future episode. This is Moshe Kurtz, and I look forward to reviewing more responses with you next time on Shoot First, Ask Questions Later.